0: Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hey, Squirrel. Cool. So this week we're looking at the next Agile principle. We're all the way up to number 10, only three more to go. Principle 10 reads, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done, is essential. So I think we might manage to come out with a short podcast this week. So we're trying to apply principle 10 ourselves and keep it simple. My first question to you, Jeffrey, is uh, essential for what? This one doesn't manage to tell us why we want to do this.
1: Well, the good news is this is uh, fairly straightforward. If we go back to principle number one, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. I think simplicity is the answer, or at least it's an essential part of the answer, uh, because we need the going to get the benefits of simplicity for both the uh, early delivery and the continuous delivery. And I think this is especially important if we think back to what the context was, again, to the Agile Manifesto, we're back at that enemy we've mentioned in a few podcasts now, which was that phased approach where you would have a project that was looked to run two to five years. And you'd start with a long comprehensive requirements gathering phase uh, where you would think of everything you might possibly want of this project over its entire life cycle. And then you would design the ultimate architecture. That thing. So that, every
0: the, feature you could ever want, plus it, yeah. <laughs> every um, uh, technical decision made already baked in.
1: That, that's right, and we and we'd be designing from the beginning for all of those features, for every feature that you might ever want. We need to make sure that our design accounts for that, and even if there was somehow something that was not going to be in the original project delivery, we should be thinking ahead for that and make sure that our architecture is ready and flexible enough and and scalable enough and extensible enough that we could take whatever might come in the future so makes sense
0: why shouldn't we do that <laughs>
1: well the, the the problem is it didn't work i mean I think that's the number one problem is it is it just doesn't work and that's uh why the principle one came about which is like the, in the whole agile movement was let's stop doing this this is crazy and uh but what do you replace it with what what do you how do you communicate to people that what they've been doing and been taught to do what was uh, enshrined in their methodology was not right, and, and the simplicity principle is what uh, came in to, to to give a sense of restraint for both <clears throat> the business and technology.
0: So, when you're looking at the business, what you want to do is is ask them to ask for fewer things, which is very challenging for most of the people that I know who want to use software, both technologists and non-technologists alike. You want to add more and more things because you can think of things faster than anybody could possibly build them.
1: And and they might be really great ideas,
0: indeed. And they are they are all great ideas. Usually, that you really are wedded to them, and they're 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 at least in your own mind absolutely vital. But um, this principle asks you to exercise some discipline and some restraint. There's a technique we've mentioned before, elephant carpaccio, thanks to our good friend Alistair Coburn, which helps to provide an environment in which that restraint is easier. So the way I typically help teams to use it, they are producing new pieces of software every single day. So the cadence is about one day. And in one day, you can't produce something all that complex. You have to produce something relatively simple. But one of the things that's crucial is that the, the this principle talks about the art of maximizing the amount of work not done. So uh, have a listen back to our uh, earlier episode five if you want the details on how Elephant Carpaccio works, or just get in touch with me, but or look it up on Google to read Alistair's very good article on it. But the crucial thing is that when I teach people to do it, what I don't do is give them a 17-step process and a detailed act, a set of activities and ways to, to do it. I say, see what you can do in one day. And they go out and they try to build something. I say, gee, that was pretty simple. And guess what? We got a lot of useful feedback. Let's do that again tomorrow. So it's not something that I can teach people in in gory detail. I have to kind of lead them to the experience.
1: Right. And, and I think that's interesting. And they get the experience and the learning from the fast feedback, and this you can see, it sort of it, it epitomizes um, what, we're, what we've said about learning in the market: is you get the experience, you get it out there, you get the feedback, and you want to have that fast cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about this is you told me uh, when we were going through this. Of course, you know no one does these two to five year projects anymore for the most part. Um, so, you know, why why do people even need this? Aren't aren't we already restrained enough? But I think you've seen that you see a significant difference. Well, what kind of cadence are people moving to from the when they get to that one-day cadence, what are they moving from?
0: Oh, uh, typically something like two to weeks to four weeks, something like that, and sometimes even longer. And uh, at least in one case I've seen recently, I've seen somebody on a, a quarterly release process.
1: And and now at the time when when Agile manifest was written, that would have sounded you know quite quick. That would have that would have been amazingly a, fast, right? I think even when we talked about the principle about frequent delivery, it talked about. A couple of weeks to a couple of months, and so you are, mm-hmm. you your your clients. Then, when you come in, they're already doing that. But then you see a, that they get a huge benefits from being even simpler, to even more constrained. Exactly. So that's the constraint on the restraint on the business. But there's also restraint on on technology. And sure. And the uh, could, did you want to do this one? Go ahead. Well, just I, I think it's uh, it's it's interesting because c- on the one hand we've we have now the business saying this is the most valuable feature. This is the one thing we want to get feedback on but if you if you don't have the restraint on technology then then you still might get people thinking about well we need a design for that ultimate architecture we know where we want to be eventually let's just build that right now won't that make everything faster and more efficient
0: yep the business just aren't telling us what they need but we know we'll figure it out and we know the best practice (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's right and and you you brought up in our in our pre-conversation here the principle of yagni which is you ain't gonna need it um that was a, a just a, a, a for me personally was a a great uh, a catchphrase when i was first adopting extreme programming uh because it really did work against the kind of uh design that i had learned how to do and to to, to look at each other and say look you know let's just say Yagni. And it's really hard because people say, but we are going to need it. We know we're going to need it, but we're not going to need it for a few weeks or maybe a few months. And so why do it now?
0: You have a great example where you turned out uh, uh, Yagni was very useful.
1: Oh, that's right. Back uh, quite a, quite a while ago now, it was a, a startup in the testing space, and we were, were creating a dashboard to show the results of all your testing. And we were going to initiate this project, and one of the developers said, all right, let's go ahead and write the schema for the dashboard. You know, where we're going to store all the data for the dashboard. <laughs> but fortunately, we were able to say, you know, Yagni, let's, let's wait until the stories require us to have the, the database. And lo and behold, two years later, It was one of our most popular features. We'd extended it quite a bit, but we never actually needed that database. (laughs) And the lack of database made it much easier for us to deploy. There was many benefits from it, and that simplicity really paid off for us there.
0: Perfect. And there's, not the, so that's an example of architectural simplicity. I think you also have an example of scalability, simpli- scaling simplicity, or or maybe not such success.
1: <laughs> well, and this is back at the, the, the same startup. And uh, it was interesting uh, because here's a place where we understood the value of simplicity when it came to implementing those functional requirements. We knew we wanted to get things out quickly, learn, learn quickly. But then we had the idea of Um, offering it uh, our unit test generation as a service, and we uh, were going to launch out to the public internet, just upload your Java code, we'll send you back uh, generated JUnit tests. And we thought, well, this will be so popular, we've got to be ready for this big flood of people. And uh, so we invested a lot into the uh, design of that, how we were going to scale it. And Unfortunately, if people are, are uh, listened to the podcast, they know what comes next, which is to say there was kind of that thunk in the market where we just didn't have the big uh, flood of people that we'd been hoping for. But we did manage to delay that time to feedback and the time to launch by several weeks uh, in, in uh, preparing for the, the scale that never came.
0: And you sure would have wished to have that few weeks back, I suspect, in order to learn more so then you could actually grow it to the size you wanted.
1: Uh, absolutely. To see what, what we could have, as they put, say, right-sized it. We could have um, we, we could have uh, dealt with the better, uh, faster feedback and, and maybe never have spent uh, that time if it was never required. Of course, when we're talking about non-functional requirements here, scale which is one, but I think it's interesting that this can apply to any number of attributes, including speed. And I know you have an example where people have been able to make a trade off here uh, more appropriate uh, than, than we did at my company.
0: And the, this example is the most extreme I've seen in a long time. I, I'd, I'd call this architecture serverless. It, 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 you'd also call it codeless. It's um, completely uh, uh, hard for me to get my head around. Uh, I've seen this company that uh, has started with a very low volume, low speed set of requirements. They're uh, they're constrained by how uh, uh, by a business requirement on how fast they can grow. They uh, just can't acquire enough customers. To make scaling any kind of issue or speed any kind of issue for the type of batch activities that they mainly do. So uh, they never hired any developers. (laughs) They've only got one guy who's very good with a thing called Zapier or Zapier. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. And if people know it, they'll know kind of where he's, he's gone. If you don't know it, you might know something called if this, then that. It basically takes two APIs and says, well, if this API gives me this output, give this input to the next one. So you can hand things off from say Google Sheets to HubSpot to MailChimp and uh, run a marketing campaign. And so they've done this on steroids. They've actually built an entire applications worth of software without ever writing any software. So forget about not needing a database. They didn't need any code.
1: <laughs> and and that, that I think is the kind of thing where you can see there's real business value if you can go ahead and use these kind of tools and quickly get something to market. Um, but it, it, it can be very difficult, I think, for uh technologists to embrace this um if they are following the agile principles it should be the natural thing to do how can we minimize risk how can we maximize our time to feedback and maybe writing software is the wrong thing but uh it, it really can be a, a blow to the ego <laughs> that my my beautiful code is not going to be the thing that drives success
0: Indeed, and I often wind up with developers who are telling me this or that is the best practice, and I'm not sure they're they're driven by ego even in in those cases. But they'll tell me. But obviously, we need to make sure it scales. Obviously, we need a database. What about our backups? What about this? And I will then ask them YAGNI or tell them YAGNI. Let's see if we can apply that principle. Let's see if we can uh, restrain ourselves. And it is very challenging if you care about what you do.
1: That, that, that's right, um, and, and and it's not like you can um, you know you know the case where you will never need these skills around scalability and speed and things like that and and actually you you will always need that judgment about what is the right technical solution and what's appropriate because ideally these two things work together I, i i know Uh, of a, of a sad case where, uh, they, they didn't, they were thinking in terms of Yagni, but, um, on the other hand, they, they made poor technical decisions that really ended up hurting them. They, it was a startup that took about two years. They spent all their money creating this service. Um, and they, they were, did some testing of prototypes, but they never delivered their actual architecture till the very end. And then it was just too slow. It just absolutely would not work with the workloads their clients needed. And because they had taken this approach of uh, a big bang delivery and the internal mantra of Yagni thinking, no, it'll be fine. But they never had that feedback. Uh, they 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 went out of business. They, they'd spent all their money and they had no time to recover. Whereas if they'd followed the kind of principles we're talking about, they'd launch something small to actual users to actually process the kind of uh, volumes and scale they needed. If they'd done that after six months, or, or maybe better, using your elephant carpaccio, maybe six weeks or six days, <laughs> they, they would have learned that their their architecture was was not going to fly, and they could have had time to recover. So there really is an interplay of these two principles, I think, to, to be making the right trade-offs between how small of a of functionality we can deliver and what's the small bit of architecture or technology, the smallest possible bit that we can responsibly bring and test to see, we think this is going to work. Does it actually work in practice?
0: So that brings us very nicely back to principle four, which would have been episode number six for us, where we wanted the business and the developers to be working together regularly. And if we could manage to get the uh, business to restrain itself in its demand and and need for features and the developers to restrain themselves in their wish for best practice uh, to use Yagni instead, then I think we could get to quite good experiments and uh, rapid learning and avoid the kinds of things that you were just describing for that poor startup.
1: That's right, and they're experiments that they design together that that they co-design the experiment between the business and technology. so it's it's that interplay between them, which I think is really a, a a great foreshadowing of what we're going to deal with next week, which is principle number eleven.
0: The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. Let's talk then.
1: All right. see you then, scroll.